Well, Merry Christmas to you this morning. Hope you're doing well this morning. My name's Todd. Uh, for those of you I don't know, or if you're listening to our podcast this morning, and uh, I'm so glad that you have joined with us here at uh, Hilton Head Island Community Church as we are continuing in our series called The Promise and uh, kind of building up towards uh, Christmas. And uh, um, just really excited about what I'm personally learning through this message series. And my prayer is, is that God's Holy Spirit speaks to you as well. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I just pray that you would uh, help us this morning to be focused on what you have to teach us. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead and guide us into knowledge and understanding and wisdom. God, may you enlighten the pages of Scripture. And may they pierce our hearts, God. Father, I pray that you would help us this Christmas season to be often reminded of the promise that you gave. God, I pray this Christmas season that you would help us to often be reminded of all the things that this little baby contained when he came here to earth. God, I pray that you would help us as we get lost in the Christmas season and the holidays and all the things that we have to do. God, I pray that you would help us to rise above that and remember that it was because you wanted to reconcile yourself with humanity. And that's the reason that we celebrate Jesus coming to earth. Thank you, God, that you chose to put on flesh and blood and that you, the Almighty, came as a simple baby. Thank you, God, that you met us where we needed to be met. And God, today I pray that you would help those who came in here and the craziness of life is on their minds and there may be worry, concern about what is happening tomorrow, what is happening in an hour. God, I pray that you would give us these just brief moments together to search your word. And as I prayed, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us into truth and in wisdom and in understanding this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, if you have been with us for any length of time, you've heard uh, me talk about our two years in New York City. Uh, Cynthia and I spent two years in New York City and uh, yes, we had many people who thought we were crazy for moving from Atlanta to New York City, but we felt like God was calling us to do that. And so we spent uh, the better part of 2005 to 2007 uh, in the city helping our friends uh, start a church up there, which is uh, still doing great and thriving. And it's called the Gallery Church of Manhattan. It's doing well. Well, on February 5th of 2007, um, we had a major event happen in our lives. Our son, Sean, was born. He came into this world. And uh, I remember that day distinctly because it was one of those bone-chilling, cold New York days. And we were there on the Upper West Side at, uh, uh, I think it was uh, St. Uh, Luke's Roosevelt Hospital there on the Upper West Side. And we were about five or six stories up, and I remember seeing snowflakes kind of floating around. And it was one of those days that I believe it was in the single digits. And literally, there was no place for any kind of precipitation to go, so it just froze. So one of those kind of New York days. 
And so Sean came into this world, and um, it was a, a, an exciting time, a joyous time. He, he was born in the evening and, uh, on that day. And the thing I remember about our little boy was compared to his sister. Now, his sister was born in 2004. And compared to his sister, when he uh, was born, he was born with peach fuzz from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And I, I wanted to name him Esau, but I thought he'll probably get beat up in school, so we won't do that. And so we named him Sean David, and uh, it, was, uh, it was an exciting time. Dads, if you can remember, if, you have, uh, if your wife has given birth to, to a child, you remember being in the delivery room, right? And fathers in the delivery room, we don't really do a whole lot. <laughs> we kind of just stand there. And it's, you know, one of those days, it's like one of the most important days of our lives, right? Our children are being born, and we stand there, and we're a sounding board for our wives, who are probably yelling at us. Uh, anyway, and on one of the most important days of our lives, what do we do? We stand there and we count. So anyway, for a dad, being in the delivery room uh, is just one of those times that's very interesting because there's not much to do. But one of the greatest things, one of the most exciting things that I got to do was to announce to be the proclamation, to be the person who proclaimed that a daughter or a son was born. And I remember in Atlanta when Sydney was born in 2004, we... I popped open those doors out of the delivery room into the waiting room where my parents were and Cynthia's parents were, and I got to announce, and I'm a mess, so I was crying, but I got to announce that Sydney was born and that she was this many pounds and this many ounces, and um, I'll probably pay for not knowing that right now, but anyway, I'll pay for that later. Um, but uh, anyway, I got to announce my child's birth. Well, when we were living in New York City, fast forward to 2007, um, and I don't know if it was because all of our family lived in the South or because it was the second born, but there was nobody at the hospital to announce it to. And I thought to myself, you know, if I could, I would bust into the waiting room there and I would just make an announcement, you know, that my son was born. And the people in New York would probably look at me and they'd probably call the authorities and have me committed. And, uh, but I, I wanted to make that announcement. I wanted to bust through those doors. Whoa. I wanted to bust through those doors as I knocked over the stage here. And I wanted to announce my son was born at 7.26 p.m., and he weighed in at six pounds and four ounces, and we called him Sean, which means God is gracious. And we called him David, which means beloved. And his last name is Cullen, which means handsome one. <laughs> I don't know why you guys are laughing. <laughs> I told the last crowd, I said, y'all be nice, okay, about that. I didn't get to choose what it meant. So anyway... <laughs> And I wanted to announce that, you know, Sean, David, Cullen, and the meanings of his name and what they meant. You know, the meanings of our names, what they mean, if you really find that out and research that. It's really incredible what it can be and what it can mean. And uh, so we, we thought long and hard about naming him Sean David Cullen. He's named after my father, uh, his middle name, and my middle name's David, and that goes back years and generations in our family. But I thought about this. What if that day when he was born on February 5th, 2007, I had busted through those doors from the delivery room out into the waiting room and I had made this announcement. My son was born at 7.26 p.m. He weighed in at 6 pounds and 4 ounces. And people will call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Wonderful Counselor, meaning counsel that's beyond our understanding. He's the Messiah, the Chosen One who will bring redemption to all mankind. 
And then I would have said he's the mighty God, which means the one who is full of strength, the mighty warrior. If I had made that audacious announcement, they would really have committed me, and I probably wouldn't have been allowed to leave the hospital, or maybe they would have ushered me out very quickly. But it's interesting, that audacious claim, wonderful counselor, mighty God, and as we'll talk about next week, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace, as we'll talk about on Christmas Eve, think about those claims. Isaiah, in Isaiah 9, verse 6, was telling us that the Messiah was going to be called all of these things. And they are audacious. They are ridiculous claims. That this little baby, think about the progression. This child, you don't think of a child as a counselor, do you? You don't think of a child as a mighty God or a prince of peace. And you certainly, as we'll talk about next week, you don't think about a child as a father. But that's what Isaiah said. Those were the claims that he was making. Isaiah 9, 6, kind of our springboard verse for this series. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. Capture the words that Isaiah the prophet's using here. He's using the word child, a baby. And he's using the word son. He's not walking away from the fact that God was going to meet man through a baby. He was telling us that from this child would come the redemption of all mankind and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The older that I get, the the more I overestimate my strength. (laughs) I think it's just part of the aging process, is it not? But, you know, it's interesting, as a child, and we now have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old, Sydney's seven, Sean's four, um, we often watch children, don't we, underestimate their strength as they grow up. They get older and they kind of underestimate their strength. I, I remember I was reminded recently of a situation that happened in my house growing up when I was about seven or eight years old. My parents had a hi-fi stereo system in their house that my dad had saved up money for and bought. And um, for some of you under the age of 25, you won't understand anything that I'm talking about right now, but on the very top, they had a record player, okay? You can Google it later if you're under 25. Uh, Anyway, they had a record player, and uh, my parents would listen to records. Yes, I grew up in an age when we listened to records, okay? And then below that was a giant um, dual cassette tape player, okay? You guys remember these things? With the giant buttons. I mean, the buttons were like that long, and you'd press the buttons, and it would click. Remember, click, play, and then you'd start hearing music. And then under that was an equalizer, and this thing took up a whole cabinet in the house. And uh, I remember one particular day, my sister and I, she was involved in this, my sister and I were listening to a tape, a cassette tape, and we popped it in, and I pressed play, and nothing happened. Well, something was actually happening, and it was actually playing, but there was no music at the beginning of it. And so I became very frustrated and went over, and with all my might, I pressed the play button down, and it broke right off the stereo. And I got in trouble, and my sister denied any involvement in the situation, and uh, I got the full brunt of all the uh, (laughs) wrath on that one. But uh, I I believe that happens to us as Christ followers. I believe that we live life not really clearly, I want you to catch this, not really clearly understanding what we have in our position in Christ. Not really truly understanding how strong we can be, hang on, through Jesus Christ. And Isaiah, if we really take a look this Christmas season at what Isaiah is telling us, 
He's reminding us in 2011 that we have a God who is stronger than anything you can possibly imagine. And because we serve a God who is stronger, yes, this little baby is a strong and mighty warrior. Because we have that in our lives, we have strength that we don't often tap into. That we as Christ followers, if you are a follower of Christ, have the strength of the mighty God on your side. Yet often we as Christ followers live down here, don't we? We live down in the mire. We live down in the circumstance. We live down in the disappointment and the sin and the temptation and the stuff that goes on. And so uh, very infrequently do we ever tap in to the power of God in our lives. Let's consider exactly what Isaiah was speaking of when he said that our God, the Messiah, Jesus, was the wonderful counselor and today that he was the mighty God. The word is in Hebrew one that we can actually pronounce. It's called El Gabor. When, when Isaiah was saying this, he was saying El Gabor, that he would be called Wonderful Counselor and El Gabor. And I want to explain exactly what that means. When you see those words, that word El, that's a name for God. But so often we get that confused and so often it's mixed up because it talks about a God. The specific way that Isaiah was using it, he meant the God. And El here literally means the very strong God. And so Isaiah could have stopped right there. He could have said that his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, which we talked about last week, and his name is El. And we would have understood that this God had great strength. But Isaiah goes on and he describes even further what this God will be, what this baby will be. And there's more to it than just the Messiah, just that he's a strong God. Gabor is a word that means strength or might. And it gives a picture in our minds, literally the, the Hebrew people, would have, the Jewish people would have understood it as a warrior. And not only that, when he used that word, they would have understood it, that he's a hero. So when Isaiah was describing the promise, when he was describing this little baby that would come to earth, he was describing this little baby as a strong, the strong God, the strong and mighty warrior. Isn't that great? That the irony of that's amazing. That this little child, this helpless little child would be the mighty God. You know, it's interesting Isaiah speaks and other uh, prophets speak of God being El Shaddai, which is all supplying the Almighty God. But it doesn't have this connotation of God being a hero. What do you think of when you think of a hero? What do you think of? What comes to your mind? I'll tell you what comes to my mind is Maximus from Gladiator. Love Maximus, don't we? Maximus from Gladiator. How about Rudy? Remember the movie Rudy? I mean, Rudy was the hero in that story, right? And here I'm going to date myself again. How about Rocky? All right, yeah, Rocky, the great boxing hero. And that's what we think of when we think of heroes. But Isaiah was specifically saying that we, when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we're accepting the chosen one, the Messiah, who is also the strong and mighty warrior hero. Man, that's awesome. Isn't that great? You know, and so we have this idea in our minds that Jesus was this soft, little, precious, little, meek baby. Then he goes on and he talks about the, the fact that he's a wonderful counselor and can guide us through situations and that his words have truth that can guide us in life. 
But he also says that this little one is going to be a mighty warrior. And so very, very infrequently do we live with the perspective in mind that our Savior, that the chosen one, that the promised one is actually also a mighty warrior hero. I think if we were to do that, I think if we were truly to understand that, and if we truly thought about that, especially during the Christmas season, which can be such a stressful season for us, if we truly understood that, I think we would live differently, don't you? I think we might live a little bit higher up, out of the mire, in a different plane, on a different level, at a different altitude. I think we might live with more strength if we knew that it was the mighty warrior who could give us the strength that we need. I want to take a look at three things that the mighty warrior means to us. First, with Jesus, the mighty warrior, we can have confidence to live with an eternal perspective. We can have the confidence to live with an eternal perspective. You see, when I think of a hero and when I think of the mighty warrior, the the great warrior, the hero, when I think of that, I think of having confidence to live life. And so what I, my prayer is, is that this message, if you're a Christ follower this morning, that this message would move you from a place of despondency and despair and defeat to a place of victory in your, in your walk with God, in your journey with God. The mighty warrior, uh, first with Jesus, the mighty warrior, we have confidence to live with an eternal perspective. Um, for those of you who wear glasses or contacts, do you remember that first time that you ever put glasses on? It's an amazing experience for those of you who don't have this. But when I was uh, uh, in seventh grade, uh, I was diagnosed with myopia, which is nearsightedness. And for most kids in seventh grade, it comes from reading. Mine came from watching video games. So anyway, I grew up in a great house there. Anyway, we walked, we played a lot of video games. But I remember that first time, that moment that uh, the doctor handed me a pair of glasses, and I put those on for the first time. Now, in seventh grade, back in the 1980s, uh, in the, back in the 1980s, the glasses were Coke bottle thick. And I had those big, high plastic rim glasses that were just so ugly. And so as a seventh grader, oh, man, it was awful. I mean, I'm dealing with all kind of insecurities anyway. And my parents give me these big Coke, Coke bottle glasses. So they felt bad for me. So by eighth grade, they gave me what are now called transition glasses. Do you know what those are? They're the ones that turn darker as you get into light, which is great in 2011 because they do it slowly and they look cool and that sort of thing. Back in the 80s, those things turned dark like that. I mean, you went from you know, being inside to out in the sun, and they went black. It's like you had sunglasses on immediately. Not a good look for an eighth grader back in the 80s, let me tell you. It was awful. You know, kids that have glasses today, they've got it great. They look cool and everything. Anyway. But it was amazing that first time that I put those glasses on, I didn't even realize what I wasn't seeing. I didn't even realize the fact that my whole life I was living and everything was a blur in life. And the first time I put those glasses on, for the first time maybe in my life, I saw things as they were. And I saw things in the crispness of exactly what they were. I saw the color for the first time in life. I saw the detail, the, the fabric on clothes, the, 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 the clouds in the air. They actually made formations. And for the, so for the first time since I was probably young, I saw life as it was. That's what the mighty warrior can do for us in our journey with God. He can give us the confidence to have an eternal perspective. We need eternal perspectives, don't we? Especially during the holidays, don't we? I mean, you're driving all around, you know, here we are in paradise and we're complaining about the traffic. 
were complaining about the malls and how crowded they are. I was at the mall this week. It's not crowded. Anyway, okay. <laughs> we need eternal perspective during the holidays probably more than any other time in our lives. During, during that season is so tough to get out of the mire. We're so busy. We're so gearing up for family. We're so gearing up to spend money, and we got to save money to spend money, and we, you know, we got to consider, do we put it on a credit card or do we pay cash? There's so much stress around the holidays that we can very quickly, more than any other time during the year, lose perspective. I want you to get this perspective. God sent Jesus to this earth to save humanity. See, here was a perfect God, and here was man who was completely flawed, completely sinful because of what happened in the Garden of Eden. And God decided that he would send Jesus to die a sacrificial death to take this sin away so that we could meet God. That is the eternal perspective of Christmas. Isn't that great news? Isn't that great news? Think about that. That the El Gabor, the strong, mighty warrior hero, can give us perspective about Christmas. But you know, we lose perspective during disappointment, don't we? We lose perspective during critical times in our lives when things don't work out the way that we want them to. They don't work out the way that we planned. We planned for option A, and we're at option Z. Life throws us curveballs, and sometimes we lose the perspective that God has a plan for our lives. We'll talk about that in a moment. That he cares for us. That he's working on us. And he may be, he may be allowing curveballs to be thrown our way so that we can get stronger, so that we can trust in him more. That's an eternal perspective. But so often we're down here in the mire and we forget about why God did what he did. Sometimes we can lose an eternal perspective about eternity in its, itself. We, some of you may be in here and you're going through life never considering what happens after you die and you lose perspective or you don't even have perspective about what life is. Accepting God's promise that he is the mighty warrior can give us confidence of our eternal hope. But we have a job to do in this. We have a part to play in this. Paul says this to the church in Colossae in Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your what? Heart. On things where? Above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things where? Above. Not, nor, uh, uh, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You see, because we have the mighty warrior as our foundation, because he's on our side, because he backs us up, we can have confidence to have an eternal perspective. And it's not going to shake us. It's not going to bother us because our God, our Savior, our Jesus, our Messiah is the mighty warrior hero. It's one of those spiritual practices that we cannot do. I want you to catch this. We cannot do this by ourselves, can we? We can't have an eternal perspective all on our own. We need God. We need that kind of strength to have that kind of viewpoint. So first, with Jesus, the mighty warrior, we have confidence to live life with an eternal perspective. And secondly, with Jesus, the mighty warrior, we have confidence to live claiming victory over life's challenges. We have the ability because of God, not because of ourselves. You see, God confidence, not self-confidence, to claim victory over life's challenges. Many of you probably grew up and you read in uh, some of your uh, 
classes in school, Pilgrim's Progress. I read it probably about two decades ago. And it's a fantastic literary work by John Bunyan. I think the first time I ever talked publicly about it, I said Paul Bunyan. So anyway, it's John Bunyan. And it's a 17th century classic. It's one of the first allegories ever written about the Christian life. And so John Bunyan writes a story about a man named Christian. And Christian, uh, the book follows Christian through his conversion experience, leaving everything and everyone he knew. He grew up in his hometown called the City of Destruction, which is supposed to represent the world in which we live. And he went to go follow goodwill, which is representative of Jesus. And he finally ends up after a long journey in the celestial city, which is supposed to represent heaven. Now, along the way, the beauty of John's book, Pilgrim's Progress, is the suffering and the different things that Christian goes through. He goes through many trials. He goes through many tribulations. He goes through many temptations, battles with Satan. He goes through so many different things. And as he goes on, as Christian goes on in his journey, he realizes the strength that he has as a follower of goodwill. He realizes the power that he has. He realizes the tools that he has to be victorious. And those tools aren't found in himself. They're found in goodwill and having a close relationship with goodwill. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful allegory of how we should live our Christian lives, how we should live our lives in this, this uh, Christ-following journey, that we ought to live with the mighty warrior, with the perspective that the mighty warrior is on our side, helping us to overcome trials and tribulations and disappointments. It's always bothered me. I've probably said this before. It's always bothered me when I hear a pastor or a teacher say, come to know Jesus Christ all your problems will be gone. <laughs> That's always a red flag for me. And certainly we should have the power to overcome different problems because of our walk with God. But let's face it, when we become Christ followers, we have different problems now all of a sudden, don't we? We have to battle our sin nature. We have to run from temptation. We have to speak about what's right when there's a war between what's right and what's wrong. And Paul encourages the church at Philippi in Philippians 4, 13, and it's an encouragement for us today. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. You see, that's the picture of El Gibor, God, the warrior hero on our side, that we can fight this battle. We can overcome the temptations. We can get out of that sin, not on our own, but with the help of God. Not self-confidence, but God-confidence. Isaiah says that when we realize that our God is the warrior hero, when we realize that Jesus is a warrior hero, that essentially what happens is, is that we inherit, I want you to capture this, we inherit the victory that is ours in Christ. Those of us who are citizens of the United States, we essentially inherit the victory of those who have gone before us, and it's the same thing as Christ followers. We inherit the victory that God has. Paul says this, from prison in Rome to the church in Rome. He says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to the slaughters. No, in all of these things, we are more than what? Conquerors through him who loved us when we realize what was meant 
by Jesus being the mighty God, we can overcome those things in our lives that pull us down. With God's help, we can overcome those things that claim our lives. Conquering sin, habits, hurts, hang-ups, victimizations, emotional distress, temptations, shortcomings, and failures. We can all stand strong because we have a mighty warrior hero on our side. Are you with me this morning? We have that strength. And lastly, with Jesus, the mighty warrior, we have confidence to live knowing that God will complete His plan for my life. I don't know about you, but I hate to be out of control. <laughs> I hate it when life is out of control, when you don't know what's going to happen next, when things don't go the way you want it to, when you absolutely have your plans and they seem to get interrupted. That happens daily for me. I don't know about you, but... Living life out of control is very difficult for most people. But we need to realize that God has a plan for our lives even when we feel like it's out of control. I um, was absolutely clearly and evidently called to full-time Christian service when I was 16 years old. And I spent the next about 8 to 10 years running from that. I listened to poor advice. I sought wrong counsel. I had influences in my life that were pointing me towards the opposite way that God wanted me to go. And for a while there, as God was getting back, uh, <laughs> sound terrible, getting back at me. As I, I was getting back to God, I had this struggle in my life of feeling like the last eight to ten years were out of control. But God, the whole time, was planning my steps. He was ordering my path, and He does that with you. Do you realize that? If you're a Christ follower in here today, He orders your steps. Philippians 1.6 says this, being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, with the warrior hero on our side, we can have the strength to know that He has a plan for our lives. Do you know He has a plan for each one of you? He has a plan for your life. A man named Rick Warren wrote a pretty good book called The Purpose Driven Life sold a few copies a few years ago, and it's a description of what we can do to find God's plan for our lives. When you feel like life is out of control, remember you have a warrior hero on your side. We put a lot of faith in heroes, don't we? They're good planners. They're good strategists. Hundreds and thousands of men and women who have been good warrior heroes went on to be very good political leaders, and some bad, but very good political leaders. People put trust in those who are warrior heroes. We as Christ followers can put our trust in the fact that our God is a God who's a warrior hero and He has a plan for our lives. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. It's ironic, isn't it? That little baby born in a manger there in Bethlehem, all very simple things, stable, simple, manger, simple, Bethlehem, a very simple town, born to a simple woman and a simple man. But not only was he the wonderful counselor, but he's the mighty God. And that ought to give us confidence to live our lives, shouldn't it? That ought to give us confidence to wake up that next day when we have things happen that don't go our way. It ought to give us confidence to allow him to work in our lives even when things go awry. It ought to give us confidence to know that even during the most desperate times, as Isaiah says later in his book, 
that he can mount us up on wings like eagles. He's our warrior hero, our strong God. How are you doing put in putting your trust in God right now? How are you doing with your confidence level in trusting that he is going to take care of you because he is the great warrior hero? Do you trust him for the future? Do you trust him for the present? Are you listening to him because he knows the plans that he has for you? Accept and realize today that you are in a position of strength, not because of you, but because of God in you. That's the promise that we have. That's the promise that God gave us. Let's pray this morning. Father God, help us to be followers of you who take seriously the words to Timothy. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. And God, I pray that today that you would make us into people who stand strong, who stand tall, who are firm in our trust in you because you are El Gabor, the mighty, strong, warrior, hero. Thank you, God, for what you did to save us. And God, I pray if there's anyone in here who has not accepted you as their personal Savior, God, I pray that today is their day of salvation. I pray today that you would just speak to them in a fresh and a new way, point, put people in their lives that would point them to you. But God, I pray for the Christ follower who's in here today. And God, I pray that you would give them the confidence to live their lives because in the, at the foundation of who we put our trust in, God, the promise is a mighty warrior hero, full of strength and power and might. Help us not to live down in the mire, but to live up where you want us to live because it's you who gives us strength. Thank you, God, for that promise. And may we walk in that hope today. If you're in here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, I want to invite you to do that in this room with every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe, maybe you've thought about accepting Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've thought about putting your faith that He was the one who would provide eternal life. Maybe you've thought even during the Christmas season, yeah, I, I could do that, but maybe you've never taken that final step of asking Him to be your Savior. The Bible says if we would confess with our heart, confess with our mouths, and believe in our hearts that we shall be saved. And so I'm going to pray a prayer just quietly in this room and I'm going to invite you to pray it silently in your heart along with me. It goes like this. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for making me. Thank you, God, for the promise of Jesus. Today, I confess my sins to you and I accept you, Jesus, as my Savior. Help me to live with strength because I have you on my side and help me to live my life for you. If you're in here this morning and you prayed that prayer, I'm not going to embarrass you or point you out or anything. I'm just going to ask you to simply raise your hand with every head bowed and every eye closed so that I can pray for you. Anyone in here this morning who prayed that prayer along with me? Amen. Amen. Anyone else this morning? 
us. We pray that prayer this morning. Father God, help us to be a church. Help us to be a people here on Hilton Head Island who live strong for you because you're the one who gives us strength. Help us to do that, especially during Christmas, especially during the holidays. Help us to have an eternal perspective on why you did what you did. In Jesus' name I pray.